Chapter 5, Waking Imposter The opening quote for this chapter is by Marcus Aurelius. If anyone can demonstrate to me and convince me that I am speaking or acting incorrectly, I will happily change, for I wish to know the truth which never caused injury to anyone. Reflecting on the person I'd become brought with it the realization that for my entire life I had conducted myself as if I believed I couldn't be who I was and have what I wanted. Somehow I'd come to the conclusion that being me was not good enough, so my only option was to become somebody else. How I'd arrived at this condition was lost on me, even though I was constantly obsessed by the need to obey it. Even my desire to become an enlightened person had been made to serve that end, and now after a decade on the path, it didn't appear that I was any closer. You need to understand that at no point in time had I been aware that this was what I was trying to do, to become someone else, and was only now conscious of this fact simply because I'd never been able to achieve it. Prior to this, it never occurred to me that I had cultivated a persona or mask to wear, a projection called Gary, even though I was always displaying, performing, and showing him off, and soliciting accolades about this character I was attempting to be, and yet all the while wondering why I was so miserable. The truth was that in striving to become someone good enough to make me feel safe, I had unconsciously denied myself the opportunity to actually be who I was and have what I wanted, because at all costs I made sure that I never got the chance to show up. In light of my conversation with the VP at Atari, I realized that it was time to put down the mask. In choosing to do so, I discover that the false persona I had created was also the door behind which all my logical demons had hidden the lie I had been living. Seeing that door open for the first time was both revealing and painful, as it quickly became clear how I'd been an imposter in my own life who, like any fraud, was always afraid of being found out. But no more. I was no longer willing to play the game. I was awake and hungry to be myself. And why not? There had been an ease in being me that was never present in pretending, a tactic that had proven to be as exhausting as it was ineffective. I began to wonder what it might feel like to be me all of the time. While it's difficult to describe the steps of my conversation with Bob, I know something different occurred when I accepted the truth that I didn't know despite the consequences. Even though not knowing had been an impossible choice in the past, now it provided me with a palpable sense of relief. How had this happened? How had ease been the result of not knowing? Or could it be that not knowing was incidental and it was the act of acceptance that was significant? I say this because Bob never had a clue about my lack of understanding, turmoil, or the paradoxical state of my existence being one thing and pretending to be another. Only I knew my own experience, which made accepting the fact that I did not know into what it was, a choice to be and not become, guided by what I knew was true and not by what I believed should be. In awakening to this pattern in my life, I recognized the conditioning that caused me to believe my thoughts, emotions, and behaviors required the approval of others. Like the rest of us, this started for me as a child when being told how to be, what to do, and where to do it. And in wanting to do Gary right, it had evoked in me a response that later became the hidden belief 
that I couldn't be who I was and have what I wanted. In the beginning, it was my parents who laid the foundation for my ideas about the person I should become. After that, my peers and various authority figures participated in the process, and this is true for all of us. But now, after years of quiet practice, it operated as a silent habit that caused me to seek acceptance from family members and friends, those I needed to work with, and many others that I would merely pass on the street, in whose furtive glances I sought my approval. But in accepting what was present in my interaction with the VP, I had not done any of this. I had self-validated, and in doing so had moved away from the idea of who I should be in the direction of who I actually was. And who was that person? That I did not yet know. All I knew was my active acceptance moved me towards truth, ease, simplicity, and strength, while the active denial of wearing my false persona moved me towards beliefs, fear, confusion, and grief. So, I started to consciously notice and accept my experience, no matter the circumstances. What this revealed for me was the utter futility of trying to become somebody else who was based upon a set of personality artifacts whose qualities were determined by anyone other than myself. Not only was this impossible to achieve, but doing so had bound me to the illusion of constantly needing to arrive at this other person. And it was this baseless, unachievable process that in having no point of arrival was responsible for generating all the discord of my life. Seeing this and immediately wanting a way out, I sought to shift my attention from the belief that I should know to the truth of what I actually did know, thereby taking my first steps towards a sense of validation that did not depend on anyone other than myself. Despite the clarity and ease with which I now relate this, it was challenging to drop the mask for good, because it seemed to have taken on a life of its own. Unexpectedly, it took over during discussions with clients, when the boss called me into his office, when I was at the bank, the gym, at the meditation center, or at home with my family. My persona indulged in mood swings of anger, guilt, the need to be right, to appear intelligent, as a good person, to be spiritual, attractive, everything it could do to rob me of myself. Even after becoming aware of it and attempting to navigate away, the pattern would resurface in an instant. It was as if penetrating the reality of this hidden belief had punctured a hole in the very fabric of my supposed identity, allowing all the false versions of Gary to gush forth even more. Only in meditation was I able to achieve some respite by allowing my mind, body, and emotions to relax. But shortly after returning to normal activity, I would find my addiction to becoming someone else waiting for me like the darkness that waits patiently at the edge of the light. As I considered my situation, it was interesting to note that my meditation practice had failed to transform my beliefs about myself. Clearly, this is my personal opinion to which others may take exception. Recognizing this, I take full responsibility for having misunderstood the popular TM expression, meditate and act in the world, which gave me the impression that this was all life required to become enlightened. In view of my lifelong habit to become someone else, it was now clear that my misunderstanding had only served to feed this belief when in fact there was no other version of myself that I could be. There was only me. And until I exercised the courage to be just that, I would never get what I truly wanted. To free myself from my habit to become another, 
I developed a practice of suspending my opinions about the thoughts and feelings that deluged my mind, even if I had no ability to alter them. It was a game I played. Look, you can always choose the fear, anger, judgment, and guilt thing later, but just for now, let's see what's really going on. The trick was to give myself permission to notice the content of my experience without feeling obligated to act in justification or denial of it. Just see what's going on, I promised, and then you can decide what you want to do. Then I would ask myself, what am I feeling? Where do I feel it? What am I thinking? What do I know? Am I holding my breath? Was there tension in my shoulders? Was I clenching my ass? I know this sounds silly, but sensing into my thoughts, emotions, body, and environment, free of the need to make meaning, was not an easy task when frequently derailed by the need to arrive at certainty. Ah, this is how that works. I have the answer. Now I get it. Curiously, even though my stepfather was largely an absent influence in my life at this time, I still felt compelled, even driven, to come up with a logical solution that would serve me in all circumstances. But the truth was, I never really found one. All I succeeded in doing was to trade one belief about what would make me safe for another, like people did with jobs, spouses, houses, or cars, each motivated by the need to arrive at safety through a certainty that did not exist.